This morning, we're going to continue this series we've been in for the last couple of weeks based off of the book, The Return of the Gods by Jewish Christian Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. I know many of you have gotten or getting the book, which is great because there is just a lot he covers in terms of other topics I won't have time to get into. So let me just quickly recap where we've been these last few weeks, and then we'll talk about the second member of what Rabbi Kahn calls the Dark Trinity. We've been looking at Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 17, which says, They, and he's referring to the nation of Israel there, they sacrifice to Shaddam, and we know that that word in the Hebrew means demons. So they sacrifice to Shaddam, demons, not to God, the God of the Bible, but to gods they did not know, to new gods that had come that your forefathers did not fear. And I also reference Psalm 106, verses 36 through 37, and David is writing here, and he says, They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to Shaddam or to demons. Now again, both scriptures, Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 106, both of these are in reference to Israel's history as a nation. Moses is speaking in Deuteronomy and David is writing there in Psalm, and both of them are referencing times in the history of Israel where the nation of Israel went from serving and worshiping the one true God of Israel to worshiping and serving pagan gods. Now, David goes so far as to say that the Israelites worshiping and serving of pagan gods, these demons, was so bad that there were times where the nation of Israel was willing to go so far as to even sacrifice their sons and daughters. That's how committed they became to these demonic spirits. As I previously stated, there's really not a lot known about that Hebrew word shadem. Now, some biblical scholars believe the Shaddam may be specific demons that are part of the highest levels in the demonic realms. The Shaddam may represent some of the darkest, the most evil, most powerful, most malevolent of demons. These may be some of the demons referenced there by Moses and David that the nation of Israel worshipped, served, and sacrificed their sons and daughters to. It is these demons Rabbi Khan believes makes up part of the dark trinity, as he calls them. And one of the things you discover as you read through the Old Testament is that there were these multiple cycles throughout Israel's history in the Old Testament where they would worship God alone and then gradually, subtly, slowly, they would turn from worshiping and serving God alone to serving and worshiping other gods, demons. And it wasn't just in the Old Testament. The demonic realm was very much an influencing force in the days of Jesus as well as in the early New Testament church. Jesus often confronted and dealt with and soundly defeated the demonic realm throughout his three-plus years of public ministry. He talked about the demonic realm and explained how it operated. Now listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 43. 
When an unclean spirit, and again, this is a demon he's referring to there. When an unclean demon goes out of a man, the unclean spirit, the demon, goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then the unclean spirit, the demon says, I will return to my house. And he's referring to the inside of the man there. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when the unclean spirit comes, he finds it empty, swept, and clean. Then the unclean spirit, the demon, goes and brings with him seven other unclean spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there, and the state of that man is worse than the first. Now again, Jesus was talking about an individual man there. But I want you to see what Jesus says next in verse 45. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. In other words, what Jesus is saying is what is true of an individual man when it comes to the demonic realm will be true of a city, a state, a nation, a generation when it comes to the demonic realm. Jesus is telling us That what happened to the nation of Israel back there in the Old Testament, in the ways that the nation was influenced by the demonic realm, will continue to happen in this wicked generation and every generation going forward. What happened to the nation of Israel when it came to the demonic is possible in every generation. Now, I forgot to mention this extremely important point last week, so let me make sure to say it today. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ resulted in the greatest ongoing mass exorcism in world history. Wherever and whenever the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was preached, it resulted in part in the toppling and defeat of every demonic stronghold it encountered. And I'll say more about that later. So Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, in his book, he poses a couple of questions. First question is, are there discernible, observable, repeated patterns that occurred when the nation of Israel would go from worshiping and serving God alone to eventually turning to and serving and worshiping other pagan gods? And we discovered the answer to that question was yes. Second question he poses is, are there certain demonic spirits or entities that are consistently found to be the influencing factor over the nation of Israel? turning them away from their faithfulness to God, to worshiping and serving demons? And again, yes. The third question he poses is this. Is it possible for those same pagan gods, the Shaddam, those wicked, evil, malevolent demons that led Israel astray, could those same demons be at work in America today? And if so, what would that look like? Are there similarities in how they manifested in Israel and other nations and how they might manifest in America? If those same demons that led Israel astray were operating in America today, what would that look like? And we're going to look at 
that again this morning. Now, last week, we looked at the first demonic spirit, the first member of what Rabbi Khan identified as the Dark Trinity, and we discovered his name was Baal. And Rabbi Khan identifies Baal by the name the Possessor. Now, the Possessor, Baal, was always the first demonic spirit visibly present in the leading of the nation of Israel into idol pagan worship. Whenever the nation of Israel would begin to gradually, slowly, subtly move away from worshiping and serving the God of Israel to worshiping and serving pagan gods, Baal was the initial primary culprit. And Baal's first observable repeated step in starting that process for the nation of Israel was always the same. The first step Baal would make in leading the nation of Israel astray was to separate the people of God from the word of God. If Baal could first separate the nation of Israel from the word of God, he knew chances were very good that the Israelites could easily and gradually be led astray into worshiping and serving pagan gods. And we also looked at how the possessor also worked and manifested in America starting in the early 1960s through several Supreme Court decisions that banned public prayer, the reading of the Bible, and the reciting of the Lord's Prayer in public schools. And we looked at that and cited that that was the open door Baal needed to begin separating the people of God from the word of God and the effects that has had on the American culture right up today. So this morning, I want to look at the second demonic spirit that I believe is at work in the American culture currently. Again, it's important to remember what Jesus said there in Matthew 12. He said, when a demonic spirit returns to a place he once possessed and finds it empty, he then goes and finds seven other demonic spirits more evil than himself, and they enter that place, making the state of that place worse than the first. And this is certainly the case, as you'll soon see. Now, Rabbi Khan refers to the second member of the Dark Trinity as the Enchantress. Now, this is a demonic spirit that identifies as a she. And she was so prominent among the many pagan gods of the ancient Middle East that she was given the title Queen of Heaven. She was most known as being the goddess of sexuality as well as the goddess of war and destruction. Now, Rabbi Khan in his book, he describes the enchantress this way. He says she is fiery, impetuous, impulsive, greedy, emotional, full of unbridled passion, insatiable sexual drive, and boundless pride. Now, throughout ancient Middle Eastern writings, she was also known as the goddess of prostitution, and she would often take the form, nature, and function of a prostitute herself. She was known as a seducer, a temptress, 
the goddess who captivated, allured, and snatched away. She was also known as the patron goddess of the tavern. And there she would manifest herself in ways where she would mix sexuality with alcohol and intoxication. And just as Baal would often represent himself as a bull, the enchantress would represent herself in statues and carvings as a very revealing woman or many times as a completely naked woman. And so those who went on to worship the enchantress would often find themselves involved in perverse sexual acts and would even lead to multiple forms of sexuality as well. And it was really from these practices where we find the concepts of sacred sex or temple prostitution, cult prostitution, sacred prostitute would all kind of come from um, her ability as the enchantress. And you will find references to all of these words uh, there in the New Testament. Now, in the Bible, uh, she is called Ashtoreth. And as Baal was usually the first one on the scene, Ashtoreth was never too far behind. Now, in the Canaanite and West Semitic world, she was called Asarte. The Sumerians called her Ayana. In Assyria, Babylon, and much of the Mesopotamian world, she was known as Ishtar. To the Greeks, she became Aphrodite, and to the Romans, she would become the goddess Venus. As I stated, Baal would usually be the first demonic spirit on the scene, leading people astray, separating them from the word of God. And then it wouldn't be too long before Ashtoreth would then appear. Now, Judges chapter 2, verse 13 says this, They forsook the Lord, and again, he's referring to the nation of Israel, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroths. A few chapters later, Judges chapter 10, verse 6, then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10 records a similar occurrence. Then they, being the nation of Israel, cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. So again, it is Baal who is first and then Ashtaroth. Israel would first turn to Baal and then eventually to Ashtaroth. Worshiping and serving Baal eventually led to worshiping and serving Ashtaroth. Now, just as Baal represented the nation's turning away from God to the physical, to materialism, to wealth, to financial gain, and to prosperity, Ashtaroth represented the nation's turning away from God to the sexual and the sensual. Just as the nation of Israel would turn away from God through the worship and serving of Ashtaroth, the nation of Israel would go from worshiping God in the temple to having sex in the temple with prostitutes. So if Ashtaroth were to come to America and join Baal, what would that look like? 
What could we expect to see if the worship and serving of Ashtaroth were to manifest in America? Let me ask you this. What followed the banning of prayer, of reading the Bible and reciting the Lord's Prayer in the public schools in the early 1960s? It was the sexual revolution of the 1970s. And the one event in America that announced its arrival happened in Bethel, New York in August of 1969 at an event called Woodstock. The sexual revolution, which was also known at the time as sexual liberation, became a social movement that challenged traditional codes of behavior related to sexuality and interpersonal relationships throughout the United States and the developed world from the 1960s to the 1970s. The sexual revolution included increased acceptance of sex outside of traditional heterosexual monogamous relationships, primarily what we would identify as marriage, the normalization of contraception and the pill, public nudity, pornography, premarital sex, homosexuality, alternative forms of sexuality, and the legalization of abortion all flowed from the sexual revolution. Woodstock was in part a celebration, a recognition, and a commitment to all of that. Now, as I've told you, I was born in 1961, and I grew up at a time in America where sex outside of marriage whether it was premarital or extramarital, was viewed as sin. Divorce was rare and it was looked down upon. In, as I was growing up, if a woman became pregnant before marriage, it was expected that the man and woman would get married and raise that child together. I remember times in high school where a girl would be at school one day and the next day she was sent to live with relatives, oftentimes in another state, because she had gotten pregnant and the parents would try to shield her and themselves from shame, ridicule, and gossip. People living together outside of marriage were rare, and for those who did, they had not-so-nice names for them. Prostitution existed, but it was illegal, and it really could only be found in the very, very seedy parts of town. I mean, I grew up watching shows like I Love Lucy, The Dick Van Dyke Show, The Flintstones, and the married couples in those shows always slept in different beds. My, how things have changed. And it really should come as no surprise that in 1969, California became the first state to pass no-fault divorces, which allowed people to divorce much more easily without having to prove any breach in the marital contract. As with most things that start in California, it eventually spread to all 50 states, opening the door to skyrocketing divorce rates, the destruction of marriage, and broken families. And just as Baal was able to turn people away from God and his word, Ashtaroth was able to turn God's people away from morality to immorality. And Ashtaroth's influence was not just felt in the realms of sexuality. 
It was also felt in the recreational use of drugs and alcohol. Again, remember, she was the patron of the tavern. And again, growing up in the early 60s and 70s, you couldn't buy alcohol on Sundays. And most bars and taverns, they were shut down for the day. Today, you can buy liquor almost anywhere 24-7. The only drug I ever heard of growing up were drugs like marijuana, LSD, and heroin. And I really didn't know anybody who did any of that. Today, you have so many more types of drugs, and many of those are highly addictive, some just after one use. Cocaine, meth, PCP, inhalants, just to name a few, that are highly addictive and mind-altering drugs. I see articles all the time now about fentanyl and how many people are overdosing and dying because of this one drug. I see drug busts where multiple people are now caught with enough fentanyl to kill millions of people, and this stuff is just flowing more and more into this country. And I believe all of this is being influenced by this demonic spirit, Ashtoreth. I read an article not too long ago about how people are taking fentanyl powder and they're, they're taking, you know, $1, $5, $10, $20 bills, uh, and they're just rubbing this powder all over the currency and then dropping it on the ground. Someone sees it, picks it up, unknowingly gets some of that fentanyl powder on their hands, and then, you know, they eventually rub their eyes or put their fingers in their mouth and they die of an overdose. So again, beware if you see money laying on the ground, it may not be safe to handle. I also read an article not too long ago about two policemen who pulled over a driver for speeding. As the officers approached the car, the driver threw out a powdery substance into the face of the police officers and they both started overdosing on fentanyl. Fortunately for them, an off-duty nurse happened to be nearby with some doses of Narcan, and she was able to reduce the overdose, saving the officers' lives. Again, this is how far we have come as a society, and all of this has the demonic fingerprints of Ashtoreth all over it. One other unique niche with Ashtoreth and the way she works is in the area of sorcery. Now, Asheroth was known for her powers to alter people's affections, passions, thoughts, and at times, their very essence. If the sexual revolution was her first step into the American culture, then it would make sense for this to be her second step. And this second step would involve altering human desire, human identity, and human nature itself. Now, throughout ancient Middle East culture and writings, Ashtaroth was described on one hand as the goddess of love, beauty, allurement, and female sexuality. On the other hand, you would find places in, in, in writings where she would also be described as ferocious, aggressive, violent, someone given to battle, war, and destruction. Again, characteristics and elements associated with masculinity. 
On one hand, you would have her be revealed uh, as a naked woman in jewels, the god of sexuality, but on the other side, an armored fighter, a symbol of war. She was, in one entity, the embodiment of both male and female. And Ashtaroth's connection to both femininity and masculinity was more than just an illusion or a metaphor. Now, I want you to listen to these ancient writings that come from Mesopotamian tablets and how it describes Ashtaroth. And here's what it says. When I sit in the alehouse, again, remember, she's the goddess, uh, the patron of the tavern. When I sit in the alehouse, I am a woman and I am an exuberant young man. Another ancient writing records her this way. Though I am a woman, I am a noble young man. To which we would say, well, are you a woman or are you a man? To which she would say, yes, I am both. Now, does any of this sound vaguely familiar to some of the conversations we are currently having as a culture? If it was Ashtaroth's nature as a sorceress, uh, again, to cross lines, to to transgress boundaries, to break covenants, to blur distinctions, to merge opposites, to confuse and invert, to in essence take humanity, sexuality, identity, gender, and just turn it on its head. Man, we think we are so progressive, that we are so enlightened, that we're so far above any other culture in terms of scientific medical advancement, when in truth, this is nothing new. Rather, we are, as Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a culture, we're like dogs that have returned to its own vomit. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, he says, there's nothing new under the sun. Sexual and gender confusion is nothing new. It's been tried in past cultures, in past centuries, by people probably smarter than us. And those cultures eventually ended up destroying themselves, which again is the whole goal of the demonic realm. I mean, again, there was a time not too long ago in this country that if you went to a doctor and told the doctor you were a woman in a man's body, that you would have been sent to another doctor, a psychiatrist, and they would have worked with you to fix and adjust your thinking to come into line and agreement with the truth of what your body was. Nowadays, you go to a doctor and you tell them you're a woman trapped in a man's body. They now send you to a different doctor who works with you to change your body to come into agreement with what your mind is telling you. That's how far we have come as a society in a very, very short span of time. You can even see how Baal and Ashtaroth are working hand in hand on this. Remember we talked about this last week. Baal presented himself to the nation of Israel as the God of wealth and prosperity. There are hospitals and clinics popping up all over the United States now that offer gender reassignment surgeries for one very simple reason, money and profit. 
The average cost of gender reassignment surgeries is around $100,000, often much higher than that. And again, we read in Scripture, uh, Scriptures like that of Psalm 106, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. We read that scripture and we think, how could anyone ever sacrifice their sons and daughters to demons? What kind of people would do that? The same kind of people that will sacrifice their children to gender reassignment surgeries. Doctors that will sacrifice children all for the sake of the almighty dollar. Surgery centers that will put their pursuit of profit over people. Those kinds of people. You want to hear something truly heartbreaking? If you have access to the internet, go online and just listen to some of the heart-wrenching stories of teenagers who now regret undergoing gender reassignment surgeries. Men and women who can never reverse their decisions to have their breasts removed, their penises, their vaginas removed, who can never have children of their own. Sure, they can adopt, but it doesn't dull the deep pain and loss they feel. And as a, a reality, and the, as the reality of that sets in for them, they have to live with that decision for the rest of their lives. And we as a nation will have to answer for that one day. Why did we allow children to make these kinds of permanent, life-altering decisions? Can I tell you where I think Ashtaroth's next step is? The normalization of pedophilia, sex between children and adults. It's already being promoted and talked about. They even have a name for it now, MAP, which stands for Minor Attracted Persons, someone who is attracted to minors for the purpose of sex. As a matter of fact, I would guess by this time next year, this type of perverted activity will be widely accepted and defended by the same people who are bringing drag shows for children all across the country. Many of those shows now taking place in public schools and public places. We even had one such show here in Mason City during the recent rag bry this past summer, just down the street from us. How many of us voiced our concerns or our objections to it? And then we wonder why it keeps happening. If there's no pushback, they take it as consent and approval. Is it any wonder the public schools nowadays are commonly being referred to as Satan's youth ministry? There was also a time in our country where no one would ever promote or defend allowing children to attend drag shows. But here we are. And where does it go from here? I have no idea. But let me assure you, based on history, Ashtaroth will never stop until she is either cast out or she accomplishes her goal of total destruction of the nations under her influence. Whatever her next steps are, I assure you, it will be more perverted, 
more destructive, more sacrificial than anything we've witnessed to date. Now, let me just end on this encouraging note. As I stated earlier, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ resulted in the greatest ongoing mass exorcism in world history. Wherever and whenever the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was preached, it resulted in part in the toppling and the defeat of every demonic stronghold it encountered. I love what Paul boldly states in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. And he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power, the dunamis, the dynamite of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is only the gospel the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to break and defeat every stronghold of the enemy. That is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest weapon we have in overcoming, defeating, and dismantling demonic strongholds. Everywhere Jesus went, whenever he encountered demons and demonic strongholds, he cast them out and he dismantled their strongholds. We, the church, the body of Christ, we have been given that same power and authority to do likewise. And Paul tells us there are wicked principalities, there are demonic powers, unseen rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. And the only power that can defeat them is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why I believe the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ resulted in the greatest ongoing mass exorcism in world history. It was the solution then In Jesus' day, it was the solution for Christians and churches in the book of Acts and the early church, and it continues to be the solution for the church today. Next week, we're going to look at the third of the three demonic spirits that make up the dark trinity. God bless you.